Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So welcome again to another Invested Investor podcast. must just apologise to listeners that we're in a working space in central London and in a glass office, but there's a bit of noise around about, so it's a little bit more noisy than some of our other podcasts. Today we have Modweather, Rhys Mogg, who I've known for about six or seven years, worked together, helped her out, she's helped me out, has got some very interesting stories. So Modweather, let's talk a little bit about your background, your education, etc. My education was at the age of 15 or 16, I remember saying at a family party, what we need is somebody who goes around supermarkets and picks up the food for busy working people and drives it in a little van to their homes after work. And that was in about 1981. So sadly, I was well ahead of Ocado, but I was only 14. And I did say, well, somebody lend me the money to buy a van and nobody would. So I went to a fairly conventional schooling. I was all right at school, wasn't the misfit wasn't the super keeny, just got on with it. Went to university. But my grandfather, who was very influential in my life, always said that as a woman, I should have a career and I should have money because then I had choice. I could choose who to marry and choose where to live. And I took that on board. And then he also said, again, back in the 80s, you should work in the city because women have been in the city in America, in financial services, for quite a long time. And they will be now arriving in London. So when you, by the time you grow up, there will be women in the city, therefore breaking the glass ceiling, it won't be you on your own. That's phenomenal. That was that was really forward looking. Yeah. So this yeah. is you know just yes. after really equal pay and yes. equality acts yeah, and things yeah. in the 70s. So he really was far sighted. When it came to actually looking for a job, actually I decided doing deals in the city was what suited me. It was a nice balance of people, maths, and writing. And most jobs are not all three. Most jobs are heavily dominant on one or the other. So that suited me. So I applied, got a job in the city, worked in corporate finance, had the fun of the little red sports car. Uh, flying around the world first class. Then, um, as many people know, a lovely gentleman took me out for lunch one day and said, uh, would you like to live in Somerset? And I said, yes. So he said, will you marry me? So by the main course, I was engaged. So I got married. That was 22 years ago. So you'd been working in the city for about 10 years at that point? Six years. Six, just six years? Just six years. So then I suddenly found myself in Somerset. Uh, so that was clearly part of the deal. Married, had some children. Quite a few children, I think. I had a couple and then I had a break and then I had a couple more. So <laughs> yes. I think there's a great correlation actually between entrepreneurialism and having children. There seems to be a lot of people I know have at least four. And so therefore I have four. And I started sort of trying to do work. And I, the starting point of the angel journey was quite interesting, actually. A chap came to me with a clever sort of Coke can that if you pressed a button, it heated up to make hot coffee. This is all before Nespresso. So is that gone now? Is a long it? gone. Yeah, yeah. And... 
He said, could you help me out? You've been in the city and I was bored, basically. So I said, yes. So I rang, I was thinking, how do I find money for this company? And I rang up the BVCA. The British Venture Capital Association. That's right. And they sent me this little green book of about 10 pages. And they said, this is the angels. This angels is what you need. You're a startup. We don't do startups. Can I ask which year this is, just so we can put it into context? This is about 1997, 8. Right. Sometime around then. Anyway, that was quite a colourful journey, as many journeys are with entrepreneurs. Did you raise some finance? No, no. We had a slight um, hiccup where I did actually find some people in the city who said that they, uh, AIM was quite a new market then, and they, there was opportunity to list new and clever technologies on AIM. And as a startup, almost. Almost yeah. as a startup, but it was close to having... It was one of those things where if it could get to like being listed, it could probably get contracts. It was all sort of a bit sort of putting the pieces of jigsaw puzzle together. And then we discovered that some of the founders who I didn't know very well, the first lesson, I hadn't assumed that people I knew would know people who weren't. And there was a small challenge of some due diligence that we discovered some offences. Criminal offences. Well, yes, involving (laughs) custody sentences, yes. So that was my first lesson in, you know, it isn't... In a corporate world, I would say you're quite safe, actually. Corporates are actually pretty good at keeping you away from people who have more colourful backgrounds. Good, because they've done the due diligence before. Uh, so by, and by definition, it's sort of harder. Yeah. So yeah. as a rule, you're always working with people who, yeah, yeah. you know, it's very young. You know exactly sort of who they are and what their backgrounds yeah. are. When you go into this world, suddenly you're in a much more colourful world. And, you know, people on colourful journeys are the ones who make difference and make change. So it is a... Just have to be very sh- much sharper. Your antenna have to be wide awake. Okay, so this is ninety seven, ninety eight. What happened next? You formed a business, did you? Shortly after that. Then I um, helped my in laws had a publishing company, and it was not quite working. So I went and helped sort that out, which involved again quite interesting, quite young, basically moving the managing director into a new opportunity, and putting in a new team, and that was. Uh, quite interesting. This was Rhys Mogg, of course, wasn't it? So this is to do with the editor, previous editor of The Times. Yes, he had yes. set it up. It was a fine business, I mean, that in, the, in the right sense, that it took out of print really brilliant authors and brought them back into print. So they brought Darwin back into print. They brought Mary Wollstonecraft back into print and had a fine line in selling those reprints to libraries who didn't have the great classic writers. So you replaced the, the senior management and... We bought the next level down and helped them come up. And anyway, they, they turned it around into a profitable business. It had a shareholder who was uh, pleased, I suppose, what I did. And they asked me to go and help their UK business. And we turned that from being, I don't know what you call it when it's really fast growing and a cash cow at the same time. But anyway, we did that. They got good news. millions of dividends and lots of turnover growth repeatedly. And then that team, how I came into the angel world, is that team who I still learned so much from in terms of how you turn the key levers to make a business work. I think most businesses have two or three levers that you need to turn. The rest of it's icing on the cake. And if you get those levers right, everything else will sort out. Don't know what you think. So, and they rang up and said, oh, it's dot-com boom time, so we've moved on yeah. to 2000 now. We've got all these Uber customers. Could you run this club? Go and find that dot-com boom stuff, Madwena, and show it to our Uber People. So people who had the high net worths, effectively, were they? Or? Uh, very, yes. And we didn't really know how the angel world worked at that point. So I'd had this touch point early on, but not really connected. Four years later, suddenly, I'm back, so thinking, pulling out that green leaflet, saying what's going on. It's pretty much the same situation that it was then. And 
I didn't know the rules of how you managed an, some sort of angel group. I didn't know about commissions on fundraising or, you know, how you did this or that. We just said, well, we're serving high net worths. We need to give them an excellent service because that's what high net worths are used to. So we have to charge enough money that we can afford to give mm. an excellent service, do excellent buy-side only research. And so we got 150 people to pay us £3,000 a year. Wow. And what was it called, this? It was called The Supper Club, which is not Duncan Cheadle's current supper club, I hasten to add, because we then merged it fairly quickly and with another group. based in Somerset or based in London? No, based in London. Yeah. So we had a lot of fun. To give you an idea of why it was different, if we got offered commissions, we kicked that commission back to the investor. Because we said, we've already taken your membership fee, so we're not trying to take money on the back as well. You can't do sell, a sell note. You can't say don't buy because if you're showing stuff. But we did write a long research note on each deal. And at the end, we wrote about 20 questions of further questions you must ask, which were designed to pull out the stuff that would Are probably still make online? you... Online, online. 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 Those are the days where, you know, I used to have to go down to the IT shop to get internet access. So we printed them. Yes. And so I learned a lot about how that world works. And still, there's a lot of issues where... There are things like rules and attitudes and approaches which actually prevent it becoming better because people are fixated on how it should be. Mm. And they're not prepared to change yeah. how they do things, even though it might be better for them because right. they're used to doing it a certain way, right. in my view. You're talking about the angels there or the entrepreneurs? Oh, I think both. Right. But in the context of raising yes. money, I think yeah. there's some things that still could be changed a lot. And how many better. deals did that supper club do, do you We think? did probably... 10 or 12 in a year okay. and we, we got our first exit after four months because we're frightfully clever oh, wow. or it was luck <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think luck in this situation <laughs> and then about six went bust so you know I, I don't think I'm a good stock picker and um, how many years did you run that for? for about a year and then we merged it in with another group because somebody else had entered the market seeing the, the opportunity for yeah. doing a premium product and there wasn't room for both of us so we came in together and then did it for a year, and then the rest, as they say, is history. Okay. So then you've done a number of entrepreneurial things. So we want to talk a little bit more about that, and then we'll move on to angel investing. So what was next? You've got... So I'd run an angel club for this person. Then I ran this combined entity. That was then sold to another group, so I helped them out. And in all through this time was getting to know more and more of the angel world and the other people running groups, and we were either trying to do deals or just learn from each other. And there were two key things I learned. One is that most people in this market were not trained in financial services. And therefore, they didn't see this as a corporate finance deal. They, they saw it from a business perspective or a government's perspective, mm. which I think was one of the issues because people didn't have the training to run deals. So, so these are the people who run the, the clubs? The clubs the, and, the, and, the the, and indeed themselves. the groups, you know, that okay. most yeah. of them are, they weren't financial services trained. There were very few. There was Alex McPherson, who's Octopus, oh, who yes. was a bond trader. There was yeah. me. And that was about it. Right. And we Anthony was, Clark? Was, you wouldn't no, no, he's him? not from... No. He's an accountant, but he's not okay. a corporate, trained corporate yeah. financier. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, well, I've obviously got something. I know something about how to do things which hmm. other people don't have the same skills. The other thing I noticed was that nobody had managed to build a really big angel business. Right. So some people had built successful groups... Yes. ...that looked after themselves. And some people, Alex McPherson to be one, had built a group that was getting sort of sensible levels of turnover per employee. Yes. But overall was not making enormous multi-million turnovers. Right. So look at this market, which I knew and thought I probably knew had some tricks that I might be able to help people better than others. Nobody else had managed it. So I was like, well, can I really beat 
What about Lots looking at other, other countries? Was anybody doing it, say, in the States, which, of course, has got much more activity? The States have got much more activity, and yes, they will have a certain amount of bigger, but there's no, still, we've got Angel List, of course, mm. but that was set up, you know, with a very different yeah. philosophy yeah. altogether. Yeah, yeah. So I noticed that people were completely siloed, and I think Angels still are siloed. I would see Angel groups across the country doing deals into basically the same company, but it was actually diff- a different company, mm. but they were going to be targeting the same market with almost the same product, and they were both getting funding, and there was just no way they were going to make it. Yeah, sure. So I thought, well, so I can't do what everyone else hasn't made big. There's no point in doing that, because I won't do that. But I like this world. I like the long holidays. Um, <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'll put people in touch with each other. And at that point, Friends Reunited, the marvellous Friends Reunited. I said, that's so cool. What if there was that for business? But when was this, 06, 05? No, this is back in 023. Oh, 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 yeah. And yes, Bebo hadn't yet happened. And I just looked at that and thought, oh, how can I, in my cottage in the country, with all my babies bouncing around, you know, do that? I can't. I don't even know a web developer. So my brother helped me find a web developer. I had a £1,000, so I set up a site that people could put news and people could look at the news. And that was my friend reunited. Called Angel News then, was it? Called Angel News oh, then. Okay. Bought my first website. It's all very exciting. And then started going. And I had sort of nothing to lose, so... It's great when you have nothing to lose because you just go anywhere you like. So I tootled around and do bits and pieces to earn a bit of money here and there and muddling through. And then I remember the first time a company voluntarily sent me a press release of their own accord without me having to ask for it. I was like, it was in September, I'd set it up in May, so it took me four months. And anyway, and then I started a newsletter because I thought, move aside Rupert Murdoch, publish and be damned. If I'm a publisher, I have to... You know, practice. And you wanted to monetize it at some point, I guess. No, at this point, I had no, okay, I had no idea. Attention. I didn't, yeah, didn't yeah. even understand the issue. And so I started this newsletter, and I had no money, so it just went out on Outlook, and I just literally blind copied people. And anyway, and people kept signing up, and I kept blind copying, and it just carried on month after month, you know. And I did have another baby at one point. I remember writing it in the middle of the night because the baby, you know, it was the only way I could actually be free to do it. And one day, someone rang up and said, I really like what you're doing. You know, what? who are you? And I was like, well, I'm me and I, that's what I do and don't really know what I'm doing but it's fun and they said well tell us about it and I said well I have all these readers and it's a real pain because overnight when I send my newsletter I have to send it in batches because there's so many and it takes me all night to like get out really these in emails, blocks of 50 or 100 in blocks of 100 they're like you know because I'm sending one every five minutes yeah. for, and I had great you know organizational charts of send block A followed by block B followed by you know but of course at three o'clock in the morning you're getting quite tired <laughs> so he said well who are all these readers that take you all night and I said I've no idea I've never downloaded anything other than the email address so well, why don't you look at who they actually yes. are because you collect their address so that's a good idea so I rang the developer and said could you teach me how to so I and I discovered I had readers all over the world except South America so I was like oh that's really nice at that point, people started saying, you must commercialise. I found a marvellous guy called Kevin McNally who had run up, been worked at Unquote, the oh, yes, private yeah, equity publication. Yeah. I basically emailed him. He said he was going, he'd left his job and was going travelling. So I said, when you get back from travelling, you are going to come and work with me to make this a business rather than an idea. So he came. He had three months. I said, if you don't have a customer in three months, you know, chance customers over. Customers are paying customers. Paying yeah, customer. yeah, yeah. So he said, right, what we're going to do is we're going to find customers and we're going to... And this was another... Very interesting that people don't tell you the secrets of business, which I think is really unfair, and we, more people should tell young people and new people the secrets of business. He said, we're going to do an exclusive partnership with somebody, and the basic the deal is they will be the exclusive advertiser in their channel on your website for a whole year, and the only guarantee is we basically won't do a deal with any of their competitors. And I said, well, that's silly. You're selling nothing. You know, All you're selling is the promise that you won't talk... 
and that seemed to be mad. And he said, no, no, that works. And so I said, well, good luck. I'll see you. And knocked me down with a feather, came back to the <laughs> station and said, here's this person who'd like to do this. And I so that was lovely. And I'm still friends with that guy. We're really good friends. And it was only, but it was only two years later when that friend said to me, you know why I did that deal with you? And I was like, yeah, I thought we were completely bulking mad, but delighted you did because it got me on my way. He said, well, we had, were spending 10 times more in advertising to try and reach your audience than you said you'd charge us. Right. <laughs> so I was like, so I should have put my price up. Yes. <laughs> so then that was it. Okay. And that's still going and you've still got a large mailing list, I suspect. And still you've got, got tens of thousands of people who yeah, read that and we've just relaunched and it's very pretty, angelnews.co.uk. Do go and have a look. Yes. Yeah, we will put that in the show notes. So before we move on to tips for entrepreneurs and angels, it's, I think, International Women's Day today that we are happy to be recording this on. Let's talk about diversity, diversity both in terms of entrepreneurs and angels. I know you have fairly strong views on this. Yeah, I'm not even going to mention the word women. Diversity is the issue. It doesn't matter if everybody comes from the same culture, the same attitude, the same practices, you're not going to get diversity. That includes whether the colour of your skin is the same or not. But if the, despite the colour of the skin, your whole life experience has been the same as somebody with a different colour of skin, you're not going to have much diversity. So diversity for you, what's the definition of diversity? For me, diversity is where there's social class diversity. I'm not sure what the modern expression is, but I think where there's ethnic difference. I did talk to some people who said that within the Muslim and Pakistani and Indian communities, there are whole economies operating within this country very successfully mm. who aren't needing to connect with our bit of yes. the economy. Yeah. And that, surely we could learn from each other. That'll be to do with trust, won't it? And trust, and trust within the, the and groups. And, yeah. yeah. I think also we can't ignore that many areas of diversity are underpinned by people of different religious faith. And actually it's very important that we consider that issue. People are very scared of talking about, let's call it spirituality, actually, because that sounds more yeah. neutral. People are very scared about talking about this issue, but it's not illegal. Mm. And actually, there are lots of people with different faiths, which leads them to different behaviours. And as I say, we all learn enormously from each so other. How are we going to do something about this? We, the community, our community? I think we need to be bold, probably, and start welcoming in people like somebody in the local shop who... You know, if you don't know people, you're going to have to sort of reach out and say, crikey, that person is, go and find somebody in a primary school in an area where, and say to the head teacher, who do you know amongst the parent group who's doing something? You know, the reason it's not there is because there aren't many roads between the two. I can imagine that happening already in, with entrepreneurs. I mean, the Princess Trust, etc. There'd be yeah. a number of initiatives there. Are we talking here about investors, about angels? Well, you've raised it to make me think about it. So, yes. But I think, yes, actually, I think... It wouldn't hurt at all. But let's just go back briefly to women. Why are you wanting to broaden this out? I mean, there's a lot of quite right emphasis on bringing more women into the angel community because, I mean, the Cambridge Angels, which I'm chair of, is, is 30 to 1. It's, yeah. it's really pitiful that there are plenty of, you know, sophisticated, wealthy women out there that can add a lot of value. I think men have treated me really well. I joined the city in 1990. 50% of my graduate intake were female. Even when I worked in teams of 11 blokes, I didn't feel that it was because of my gender 
You know, it was whether I was good or not. In fact, my I got crossed with the bars. They kept giving chartered accountants more pay than me just because I wasn't a chartered accountant. I thought I was outrageously discriminatory when I did the same job as the so chartered accountant. It wasn't accountant. sex discrimination, it was It was professional qualification. Yes, no, it wasn't even skills. I did no. the job yeah, in yeah, exactly true. the same terms as yes, the other person. Yeah, yeah. There was absolutely no difference in the quality of what we did, what who we worked with, whatever. Yeah. And yet they could command a premium because they'd spent three years learning to be an accountant, which... Yeah. Delighted for them, but I hadn't. But I didn't think that was a fair reason that I should earn less. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I don't per se think it's about women. I think it's about giving people who are different to you opportunity and both of you learning from each other. That's a two-sided thing at all times. Yes. So that's what I would like to see much more of because so interesting as well. Imagine what we'll learn. So, Modwena, pitching for management, I was involved with that some four or five years ago. You started that and you closed it down. Can we just talk a little bit about that journey, you know, whether it was a failure or not? So that was one of the most interesting things I've done in terms of lessons. People talk about what's success and what's market take-up. Market take-up was January 2009. I did my first pitching for management event. We thought if we were lucky, 40 people might come. We booked a room in an office, you know, some nice accountant let us have a room. And well, it was a rainy, cold January night, January 2009. 150 people turned up, all of whom had lost their jobs to look for oh, work. Really? Here in London, presumably. Here in yeah, London. Yeah. Somebody had come from Derby on the train, having just lost their job, to try and get work. Right. Then you know you've hit a vein. Yes. But we had to lock a lot of those people out of the building because of health and safety. They all had to go home. So that cost me a lot of bottles of wine. Right. Okay. Having done that, we're like, well, many of you remember January 09, nothing was going on. So we said, well, it looks like something going on here. We will start going. And we basically, Lloyds Bank gave us a little bit of money to sort of help us on our way as a sponsor. And we basically started doing it in London. Within a year, we're like, well, let's try and roll it out all over the UK because the problem is massive. Mm. We were getting 100, 150 people turning up to every event, six companies pitching. So these um, are companies pitching for help. senior employee. Oh, help. It could be part-time, it could be full-time, etc. Yeah. yeah. Interesting things. We would talk to entrepreneurs and we were saying, would you like to come and pitch? We don't want to charge you, just come and, mm. you know, there's always nice people and see what happens. And they'd say, no, I need money. I said, well, we don't raise money, we're not regulated and there's lots of other people who can do that. But out of interest, you don't need any help, but you need money. So could you tell me what you're going to spend the money on? They'd say, a marketing director. Yes, OK. So please, could all angels and entrepreneurs out there remember that it's not just about money. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes you can get the help for nothing. My favourite case study from that was a chap who said, I want a sales director. I need to sell to the big four oil companies. Is anyone a sales director out there? And a man put up his hand and said, well, I'm not a sales director, but I play golf with the CEOs of the big four oil companies. Shall I ring them and ask if they can help you? <laughs> and that was a successful program. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, this mental attitude of training of how people should start businesses right. and how they should obtain and use resources yeah. by creating prescriptive ways and sort of, if you wanted to be mean, bigoted attitudes to how it should be done and shouldn't be done, what that does is actually it sometimes prevents much greater efficiencies. That being said, so we did it, we got into 26 cities as pop-up events. Really interesting in terms of things like logistics and, you know, having to actually manage that sort of activity. Learned a lot about that. Learned a lot about local communities being quite confident in their own abilities and not welcoming outsiders. And the challenge of trying to sort of befriend people. We don't need you as a sort of typical. We don't want you because you're threatening our little ecosystem by trying to do something different. That repeatedly actually being cut out of communities to the point where others in the community, one law firm, threatened to sack its client. It was so outraged by this client refusing to help us. 
even though they were a government agency whose job was to promote enterprise. So you learnt an awful lot, um, tried very hard not to cry. Then the market changed, the job market massively picked up, which is really good. So when was that, sort of 11, 12? Four years later, so yeah, 11, 12, at which point suddenly the audiences start dying. I still hadn't convinced the entrepreneurs that this was good because they all were told me that they needed money to hire marketing directors. They didn't want ones who'd work for free. And um, so I shut it. Yes, that brings us nicely actually to an article that uh, I read on the train here, which is the smart money, the angel that adds value. Can we just talk about that's the invested investor? That's the whole reason behind this podcast. Angels are, I just think, staggeringly brilliant people. I really do. I just think their their willingness to sort of write checks with, you know, I mean, I know some legal strings, but many of those strings are, you know, who's ever going to prosecute to actually be able to tug the string? Yeah. And they have so much to offer. I think one of the things I would love to see is slightly more debate and discussion about how one should structure that help. I think it's still done a little bit informally, actually, and there could be some more discussion around how we think about that. So I was talking to one the other day and naming no names, but there was a situation where there were two entrepreneurs, and I definitely believe if the angels after they'd invested. The team's right, idea right, everything. But if they'd actually sat down with the entrepreneurs the day after the money went in and said, will you both be really honest about what you really want to get and what you really can and can't do, and actually we're all really successful, that would have started things on a much better journey. And started I the relationship between the investors. The relationship investors between the, the entrepreneurs better. Uh, the two entrepreneurs, this yeah, was an issue with the team. Yeah, there's an awful lot of British assumption about, oh, well, we don't know, three, two questions, God knows what we might find if we open the lid. But actually opening that lid and having a, you know, constructive and controlled and not emotional conversation about actually what's needed. Surely that should be done before investment. Perhaps it should, but you see, remember, I mean, I, I laugh about investment because I always... Uh, Gosh, maybe this isn't appropriate, but hey-ho. I would challenge any angel to find out whether the entrepreneur founder is sleeping with the entrepreneur's wife. (laughs) I bet none of you will find that out in a fundraising exercise until after the fundraising is completed. I spoke to a VMP guy once who actually had to set a a private detective on a story that's not quite the same as that, but similar. Angels do not do that. We do trust, we use gut feel about whether to believe, I cannot believe we would yeah. ever get to the point where we could you work that out. It's, it's not, it's... But hopefully uh, it's not appropriate either. But, I, I mean, hope no, it's not, not appropriate. I mean, yeah. you know, it's not, not, not a sort of way of life I engage in, so I wouldn't really have, probably have any antennae for understanding yes. the science. But I use it as an example to explain the lack of actual, you know, yeah. people are, it's a high risk, they're taking a punt, and therefore they just don't do it. And I don't know if they necessarily have to do it what I'm saying is after the money's gone in I think actually having a sensible chat just saying oh you know you told me you were going to get all these sales are you actually any any good at selling and I mean in a detailed way I don't mean I disagree there unfortunately yes you think you do that do you you do that beforehand Uh, yeah and and, and hopefully the education we're giving will make sure I'm sure these things happen yeah yeah totally true but the more you can do beforehand the more you can understand the team dynamics beforehand and get to know them, yeah. et cetera. So to lead on just to the invest invested, in that situation, was one of the angels then on the board to be closer and to help this? No. Okay. Do you think it's appropriate that an investor should be on the board? The investors I see who make money, it's a slightly different thing. 
are the ones who retain the trust of the entrepreneur. Yes. Well, that means the whole journey is good, though, isn't it, at that point? Yeah. Because they only make money if the journey is good. It's not the trust that makes it good. It's the journey. It's the journey. But actually the trust as well, because there's so much on the journey where actually the interests of the angels and founders can become separated. Mm. Trust is being transparent and open and honest, isn't it? And being helpful. Proactively helpful. Positively helpful rather than negatively. Positively helpful. You know, I think angels much more talk about the companies they've backed, try and help build the sales pipeline. That doesn't apply to all crowdfunding raises, though, does it? Well, the crowdfunding world is a different, totally different world to the angel world. Mm. There are many other issues. The biggest issue around the crowdfunding world really is these are private companies, in effect, operating public markets within a private company structure. Yes. If they were public companies and therefore they were public, properly public markets, it would sort itself out quite quickly. The big issues I would say, because I know we're short of time, the big issue I would say is angels need to think about inflation in funding. The amount raised, do you mean? The amount raised, that actually how much money does it take to get a company off the ground? Yes. So what I see is far too much, 150 grand SEIS, or or you didn't quite make it. Well, we couldn't because we didn't... Actually, we were changing the world, so we didn't know that we were going to change the world that way. And guess what? It does take time, and time means even if you're just paying for a mobile phone, money goes out over time. So we don't allow enough money for mistakes to be made. We haven't actually allowed for inflation in money, in in the costs of life. Mm. So I defy any small company to cost less than 10 or 12 grand a month to run. Mm. So 150 grand SEIS round gives you 12 months and if you're a real startup, i.e. you don't have anything yet, well, you know, I just defy many people in 12 months to actually get there if it's something really get, clever. Get to product market fit yeah, and to actually, start yeah. scaling. Exactly. It, exactly. No it's, it's a sort yeah. of an even half a million because mm. actually a company of any scale is probably going to have to spend 50 grand a month mm. by the time it's got four or five staff and an office and a bit of travel and actually having time to do some marketing. You know, marketing is the thing. Everyone thinks marketing should be free. But marketing isn't free. Mm, mm. So I think there's a lot to be said for actually adding up what actual money's needed and allowing a little bit of room for things to go wrong. And I think that's what the Americans do so well. Yes. That they typically, I saw some research, that the first round is often pound for dollar in terms of value of services and goods bought the same. But the second round is not half a million, it's a million or 10 million. Right. So having sort of done the proof of concept phase, they then just... They will really throw they money really at it, yes, money which at we it. don't do in the UK. And we don't. No. We, we, I think that's a, would certainly a debate the investors should have amongst yeah. themselves about are they actually doing right by companies by just dripping... You can't put a lot of money until you've got, unless you've got a big valuation, otherwise you dilute the founders too much. And high valuations implies a journey which is going to lead to a high exit... And we don't have those exits in the way that the Americans do. And you've absolutely hit the nail on the head, Peter. That this is the issue that most companies sell for less than 20 million. Yeah. And I think what we need to do is a much more, maybe it's after a proof of concept stage, to be having a much more rational discussion about, actually, this is a fairly, nor- well, call it a normal company. Yeah. You know, over time, it's going to become profitable. It's going to be valuable. It's going to employ people. And it's almost certainly going to sell for less than 20 million. Yes. But then let's then fund it and manage it to achieve that objective. And there's a lot of value in, can still be contributed by the angels. People will be employed. Profits will be made. Tax will be paid. That's not an invalid situation. Yes. And then there's the very few who are the superstars. Yeah. Very few. Very few. One in 20, one in 40. 
One in a hundred. One in a hundred. Yes. And those need to be taken, almost extracted like the super bright mm. stars of sport. Yes. And given very special, very intensive treatment. Exactly. It's a matter of identifying at the right time, of course. Well, exactly. <laughs> Kissing the right frog, as I, I said. I know, it's so Istanbul easy being me. last weekend, yeah, last weekend exactly. when we saw each other. Yeah. yeah, and it's very easy being a commentator and looking on things yes. to sort of make big pronouncements about how obviously it should happen this way. But actually, this we are the most intelligent group of people in the planet. We've got the most Human skills. beings are. Or... Humans, but I would argue that the angel community... Oh, the, 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 I, I can't the, say that. Yeah, yeah no. The, the quality of experiences and brains and abilities yeah. and the combination of activities is such that, as a group of people, should we choose as a community to actually sit down and think about these things? I have no doubt we can solve them. Modwena, two or three tips for angels. Don't invest alone. Write your investment down to zero when you first invest. Invest for the right reasons and communicate those reasons. One of our angels, who if he listens to this will laugh when he hears it, with crowd rating, he said, I don't think you'll ever make any money, but I believe you should exist as a business. A public service. <laughs> I don't think he said that so much. He just said, he said there should be independent research available to people to get advice. Yes. He's right. That's a big motivation for entrepreneurs to go, actually, we are trying to do the right thing, but there is a different angle which is you need to stay commercial <laughs> in the dream perhaps. yeah well you do unless but, it's a social enterprise yeah. where the, yeah. the some of the outcomes are actually social good rather than necessarily financial good yeah i do think that matters i think you should be doing it to change the world for the better but i think that most angels go well i do that obvi- that's obvious yes and for entrepreneurs two or three tips for entrepreneurs know your co-founders don't let things get to a bloody fight such that you can't talk again. Which you must be saying from experience. Uh, not so much my own personal experience, but more observing others. And, you know, there are always points in relationships where you can choose to turn them nasty or not to. You know, sometimes silence and a night's sleep is a better solution than I've a row. I've been involved in several businesses where one of the founders has left sometime on the journey. Yeah, and actually, sometimes the departure is right, but it's much better if that's managed through in a mature way than as a bloody fight. Bloody fights are very disruptive. So that's two tips for the team. Raise as much money as you dare. So I always say to entrepreneurs, so sorry, angels, if you're now seeing the impact of this, I always tell them to sort of probably double how much they're asking for, rewrite their plan to justify the amount of money they need, and go there because it's really hard work raising money. It's very distracting. You will need much more money than any of you think. So you may as well get as much of the dilution issues if you can do less rounds. Exactly. But this comes back also to valuation. And this is where the conflict is between angels and entrepreneurs. So my view on valuation for both is don't go into this game unless you're intending to make it a really, really, really big company. Mm. Don't really, even if you're trying to make the 10, 20 million pound company, actually... Maybe you should get one or two angels who sort of stay with you as a sort of, I don't, I don't agree with the word lifestyle in any context in this because it's all jolly hard work, but who are prepared to stay with you for the long term. Like my father-in-law's company, you know, he and the other shareholder, they backed it for years because they wanted it to be what it was. And that was fine. Very healthy and sensible thing to do. That's not the superstar one in 40. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So try and calibrate that journey at all times. 
Excellent, Modwena. It's been great. I'm just going to ask you one more question, which you haven't been prepared for, which I, if you listen to any of the other podcasts, you will have heard. You're well over a decade younger than me. What are you going to be doing when you get to my age? How old are you? I'm 62. Okay, so I'm probably older than I look. <laughs> my son is 21. So when I get to my 60s, oh God, I'm going to have to be working. I have this club I set up called the Pluralist Club a couple of years ago. Because I noticed all these people, angels are a subset of pluralists, but people who are not prepared to have a proper full-time job uh, talk about being unemployable in that context. And one of the things we say to members is, you can't afford to retire because you die two years after you retire. So that'd be a really stupid thing to confess to doing. So I can't retire. So that means I have to be working. If this world has decided it doesn't want me or somebody wants things so much they don't want me to own them anymore, I will probably write my book finally called The Shoreditch Tales, which is a rewriting of the Canterbury Tales. Oh, so right. I might Fiction, be... one presumes, but based on oh, some facts. you know, there's so many stories I've heard <laughs> over the years. <laughs> Pre-orders will be taken on a website. <laughs> Excellent, really good. Everybody will have learned so much from you. Thank you very much. That's all right. Thanks for listening to another Investor Investor podcast. You can subscribe to all future podcasts via our website, investorinvestor.com, or via a number of online podcast platforms. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to get the most up-to-date, interesting, and insightful content. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.